Good morning. <laughs> Shall we try that again? Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. It's always nice to have the encouragement, at least at the beginning of the talk, the congregation are awake. But uh, there we go. Uh, my name's Ian Marlowe, and uh, I've run a business for about 30 years and uh, occasionally get let loose up here. So there we go. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 to 14. Just started our series on Hebrews, and uh, this is where we are. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. This is the word of the Lord. It's only, I think, a few weeks since I came back from holiday. It's that time of year where it feels like months already. You know that feeling, don't you? And um, we spent uh, a week on the Gower Peninsula in Wales and had wonderful weather. One evening, because my middle daughter's partner is a Chelsea supporter, we had to find a pub to watch the football, which we finally did. Um, he managed to order a German lager by pointing to it. But when I tried that on the Welsh beer and said, can I have a pint of that? The barmaid looked at me with a glint in her eye and said, you can have it if you can pronounce it. <laughs> now, some words just have too many L's in them. You know what I mean? Which you kind of have to prepare for by getting ready to spit. I, I just... Can't get my head around Welsh. Apologies to the Welsh here. But there are moments when you think, I am definitely in another country here. And reading the book of Hebrews, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm in another country. We're not just in the first century, if that wasn't so far away, and it's a long time. But some of first century culture is sadly increasingly familiar the way we treat unwanted children, the way we allow all kinds of sexual license, the way power is corrupted. So to some extent, we can start these days, sadly, to get our heads into the culture. But here, we have a first century Jewish culture. These are believers in Jesus who come from a Jewish background who are 
tempted to go back to what they found familiar. And it's an alien world to us. We all kind of wear culture like a skin. What the way we live is normal. I'm sure you're too polite to say it, but there'll be moments as Germans in England where you will be looking at us and say, why do you do that? And you'll get an answer that amounts to, well, it's normal. To which I'm sure you'll think, you're all so weird. <laughs> it's just who we are and what we do. And we're entering here a very different culture. But if you want a, a theme, a, a message to hang the book of Hebrews on, it goes like this. Judaism is good. Jesus is better. So the Old Testament priesthood is wonderful. Jesus is a better priest. The law was good. Now we have a better way to live. And here, angels are wonderful, but Jesus is far, far better. And he gets there by quoting from seven Old Testament passages that I have to say probably make more sense as convincing us to believe in Jesus. Uh, it made more sense to a first century Hebrew than it might do to us as a series of proof texts. So what I want to do is fairly briefly run through them and try and draw some conclusions for them and for us. Because scripture, of course, is written first of all to an audience of the time and then to an audience of all humanity throughout history. So let's start with the first one. We read, you are my son. Today I have become your father. It's from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a, a coronation psalm. So this would probably have been spoken first to King David. But fully realized later on. And that's a kind of biblical theme. There's a message to the person in front of them. And there's a more profound message that rolls on throughout history. And it starts with the words, for which of the angels did God ever say? It's a rhetorical question. It clearly demands the answer, none. The angels are called sons of God elsewhere, but the son of God? The biblical scholars amongst you will have noticed that these are the words that God the Father speaks over God the Son at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is unique. Not just an awesome created being like the angels, but the unique Son of God. This is a very un-English way of proving anything. Go straight in with the big claim and make it clear where you stand. We like to kind of be a bit more subtle. <laughs> and sometimes our subtlety makes it sound like we're embarrassed by the message. Jesus is unique. The, the second uh, verse is from David's building of the temple. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it's the prophet Nathan's response to David building a temple, which you could kind of paraphrase as, great, temples are wonderful, your son will build it, not you, but actually there's something much bigger going on here. God wants to enter into 
a deep relationship with you like father to son, which is a reflection of the relationship that Jesus the son has to God, his father. Here we have the father committing to relationship with human beings because of the relationship he's had for all eternity with his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The third quote is somewhat more obscure. Let all God's angels worship him. Well, the message is clear, but it kind of resembles Psalm 97 and it kind of resembles Deuteronomy 32. And I think the theologically technical term is it's a kind of mishmash of both. Whether that's something that was common in the time, we just don't know. In fact, why he starts this whole argument with angels... It's fascinating. You read the commentaries and usually get on the one hand this, on the other hand this. They're all agreed about the answer to the question, why does he start with angels in Hebrews? We don't know. (laughs) Who knows? But here we're told, let all God's angels worship him. Again, he's putting Jesus on a different level. Who did your angels worship? Well, there's only one possibility, and that's God in heaven. Jesus, all God's angels worship him. He's driving the point home. The fourth quote is from Psalm 104. You'll soon discover in Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews loves the Psalms. And this is just wonderful, I think. He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Angels are awesome. If you, have, if you read through the Bible, you'll discover that pretty much everyone who meets an angel thinks he's about to die. It's almost without exception, I think. There's something about meeting a being that's so pure and so holy and so powerful, you think, oh, that's the end. And I think we sometimes miss that. You have the angelic choirs at Jesus' birth. Well, it's the hosts of the angels. And that can be translated the armies of God. And I think we kind of think at Christmas, oh, it's King's College Choir turned up. (laughs) It's much more like an army on the march singing battle songs. Uplifting, oh yes, terrifying, certainly. That's what angels are like. But, and this is the fifth one, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Now this is fascinating. You meet an angel, you think the purity and holiness is just going to consume me. But they worship our Lord Jesus. I just wonder sometimes if we're too quick to be friendly. We don't grasp all that he is. This is Psalm 45. It's a a royal wedding. And um, weddings generally, and royal weddings particularly, there's a certain amount of hyperbole, isn't there? You know, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, you know. So, King David, your throne will last forever. 
It's like at a wedding. May you have happiness forever. Well, probably not. <laughs> but you know what? The sentiment is a good one. But here it's extended. It's pointing to a greater fulfillment than the marriage of the king. But to a Jesus who is the king, who is both eternal and just. The sixth reference is from the Psalms again, Psalm 102. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I remember when I was 14, reading the Gospels for the first time. That's great when you read the Gospels for the first time, isn't it? And just, it's all fresh. And one of the things that just blew me over was how Jesus could be so utterly good and also so much fun to be with. You notice that? How they go together? And people were forever inviting Jesus to their parties, knowing that at some point in the event, this was going to get seriously embarrassing. But they still invited him. Because there's something about sheer goodness that's also deeply inviting and very humbling. Here's the Lord who's utterly pure, who cares deeply for the poor and the needy, and yet is fun to be around. I think probably largely gone are the days where we argue in church circles about whether we should be holy or care for the poor. You've only got to look at Jesus' life. There's a choice? Of course there isn't a choice. Jesus was both. And finally, this is the seventh, I said we'd whiz through quickly, we read, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Another psalm, Psalm 110, another enthronement psalm, talking about a king, but beyond the king to the eternal king. Echoes of Colossians, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. It's that wonderful Graham Kendrick song that only a few of us are old enough to remember. <laughs> but of Jesus, he who flung stars into space. I love that. The Jesus who walked the earth, who created galaxies and nebulae and stuff I don't understand. <laughs> That's the Jesus we're dealing with. The Lord is an eternal king. Our culture, with its values, will pass. And it will happen sooner than we think. Now, this is going to date me and some of you, but I remember how on earth are Christians in Russia and the Eastern Bloc ever going to escape the oppression they're under? Berlin Wall was just a fixture. You don't even remember what it was, most of you. <laughs> or how will the Vietnam War ever end? And what, what, it, there, there are any number of historical instances in my own lifetime, and there will be in yours, where 
the perceived certainties of the world will be utterly overthrown in a short period of time. And sometimes we fear that the world is getting so strong that we won't be able to cope. There's a lovely, lovely quote from G.K. Chesterton, who's a, um, a Catholic writer, and he says this, at least five times the faith has to all appearance gone to the dogs. In each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. Isn't that lovely? We look at the world around us, the culture we work in and live in, and it's tempting to be quiet as Christians, to be almost embarrassed by what we believe. I think there's a challenge here that our Jesus is greater. And that's the message to the first century Hebrews who are thinking of baptized. Angels are great. Jesus is far better, much better, and by a long way, and you could carry on. And the implication is, why would you, as first century Hebrews, followers of Jesus, turn your backs on this? Why would you go back to the shadow when you have the reality? Why would you go back to the partial fulfillment when it's complete in Christ? Why would you gather around the signpost rather than go to the destination it points to? What about us? I, I have to confess, it, this is, when you get asked to speak, you sometimes look at the passage and go, great! I looked at this one and went, oh... Those of you who speak know that, that sensation. I've got to do some serious reading here. But I have to say, at the end of going through it, the question I was left was this, and we're going to close with this. Do I act as if I worship and follow this Jesus that we're reading about? Would people look at me and say, you live to a different beat. Your loyalty is to another kingdom. Am I bold or timid, confident or nervous? Am I firmly rooted in God's word or is there a constant pressure to shift with the fashion? I'd like to pray for us. Can, can we all stand? We'll get the band to come up. And let's all be quiet in an attitude of prayer before God and ask ourselves this question. Do I act, do I live as though I worship and follow this Jesus, the unique Son of God who came to earth and invites us into relationship? The Lord of the earth with a passion for justice, a heart for the poor, full of purity and righteousness and joy. The one who was there at the beginning will be there at the end, who is stronger than every worldview and opposition. Are we bold or timid, confident or nervous, firmly rooted or shifting with the fashion? Just be quiet for a minute and think of the challenges of the week, of, week ahead. Or maybe more broadly, the, the call of Jesus on your life.
and allow the truths we have read inform what we're thinking about. Let's be still. Lord, when we see you clearly, we're in awe of you. When we understand who you are, it gives us strength and confidence. And Lord, our prayer for one another as we continue in worship and response is that the truth of who we worship will inform our daily lives more and more. Thank you, Lord, that you come in humility as well as power, and you come with grace and forgiveness as well as truth. Help us to encounter you now in Jesus' name. Amen.